Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, and welcome to the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Joshua Gray, and I'm your host for this episode because, once again, John is on vacation. He gets vacations and I don't, and this seems to be a running thing here on this show. So today I'm going to take over the show and we're going to talk about something that that I find to be a very, very important thing to talk about. And we're going to talk about uh, veteran homelessness here today. Um, it's uh, homelessness is an issue that is something that's uh, a major thing all around the country, uh, and, and here in Vegas, veteran homelessness is uh, uh, kind of a big deal. So today, I have three guests here that are here to speak with me about that. I have Liz Jarman, Gigi Simmons, and Danielle Zuber. Ladies, thank you for joining me today. Um, I, I kind of purposefully left out your job titles in, here in this because. Veteran homelessness here in Vegas has a lot of pieces to it. What we're doing as the VA has a lot of pieces to it. So what I'd like you to do, we'll, we'll start with Gigi. Kind of tell me what your specific piece of, of combating veteran homelessness here in Vegas is. Okay. Well, I am the program coordinator for Healthcare for Homeless Veterans, which we call HCHV, and uh, Grant and Per Diem program, which is we call GPD. And so those are two specific programs. So the first program, HCHV, we have um, uh, probably a little over 60 veterans, um, some women, could be children as well, and males that are in our contracted residential emergency services. So what that consists of is veterans um, coming into that program kind of short term, 60 to 90 days, just to help them to transition into permanent housing. And that could be maybe transitioning into HUD-VASH program, or um, supportive services for veterans and families, the SSVF program, or they could be transitioning on their own to their own housing. The second program is more of a long-term program, which is Grant and Per Diem, which is GPD. And with that program, mm, it's probably a little over 300 veterans in four to five specific um, locations. And so with that program, it's more of a long term. So a veteran could be in that program up to two years, which is very rare. I think I've only had one person who was in there up to two years, and they were working on something specific. But the national average for that program stay is six months. So that is also a transitional housing program where in both programs we help the veterans to if they need to have any type of IDs, uh, if they need to uh, gain some employment before they can you know get sustainable housing then we'll help them to do that and there are case managers in both of those programs to help them to do that and what the VA offers is a liaison so that liaison pretty much kind of guides the treatment and then I supervise those both of those programs. Now with the Grand and Per Diem program probably 60 um, well I'd say maybe up to a year maybe, but like I said, the nat- national average is six months that they're in that program. Those veterans, they trans- they will go transition into HUD-VASH, possibly, SSVF, possibly, or getting into their own housing on their own. But whatever the case, we do help them with that. Okay. So, and speaking of HUD-VASH, we're going we're gonna to hear that term a lot during this discussion. Uh, Danielle, that's kind of your, your lane, more or less. Uh, tell right. us what HUD-VASH is. Well, HUD-VASH is a collaboration between the U.S. um, Department of Veterans Affairs and Housing and Urban Development uh, to prevent uh, veteran homelessness. And so 
it's a program that um, if veterans are eligible for, they can uh, essentially obtain like a Section 8 voucher to become stably um, and permanently housed. And um, like the other programs at the VA, it also comes with um, case management services so that those, um, those colleagues and, and uh, folks that are working with them, social workers and, and a multidisciplinary team, uh, work at helping the veteran uh, maintain their, their housing once, obtain and maintain their housing, um, looking at all sorts of different needs they may have, uh, resources that they're needing, and um, linking them to those services. So it is a permanent, it's considered a permanent housing program, and, um, and here in Las Vegas we have a little bit over 1,400 vouchers, and um, yeah, so that's just basically the you know most basic overview of of HUD bash and, and what that is. When you say and, and Liz, we'll get to you real quick, but sure. I want a quick follow up on that. Mm-hmm. When you say you have fourteen hundred vouchers, is that because that's just how many people are in the program, or is that uh, I know how budgets work? You know, we, we we budget out well. We've got enough for for so many vouchers. Is that the number of vouchers that are budgeted out for for the year? Right. We had like I said, it's a little bit over fourteen hundred, but those are the amount of vouchers that are that we have in the program. Now, somewhere in the vicinity of, clo- you know, 13, close to 1,400 RUs. So, um, but but there's uh, always a little bit of um, attrition in terms of like folks that maybe decide to move on out of state. Uh, maybe they um, pass on or they decide not to participate in the program and so there's always a little bit of movement uh, with with vouchers that um, that may have been initially taken and, and become available for other veterans so gotcha okay mm-hmm. thanks okay Liz what's your what's your piece here yes I am the program coordinator for the community resource and referral center um, that is basically the coordinated intake spot for homeless veterans so we're located at the Northeast Clinic at 4461 East Charleston Um, We're within that clinic, basically a homeless veteran would come in and let us know that they're needing to do an intake. Um, They would meet with a social worker. The social worker would do a full in-depth assessment of their housing history, their current situation, medical, mental health concerns, just kind of a thorough intake assessment. Um, And then based on that, based on the veteran's needs, based on their eligibility, based on um, kind of what program's gonna fit them the best, we will refer them um, either to, and oftentimes we'll, we'll refer them to two programs. So we'll refer them to transitional housing or emergency housing for the night. So that would be either grant, well, for immediate. So that would be grant per diem or healthcare for homeless veterans that they could go to that evening um, for that transitional period. And then we would also potentially refer them to hud for permanent housing. hud isn't something that they can get into that night, but they would be working kind of on both plans at the same time of here's where you go tonight, here's where you go, here's your permanent plan, your long-term plan. Um, in addition, we refer to um, supportive services for veteran families. And if none of those are an option for that particular veteran, we have community partners that we refer to as well. Um, some of the community shelters, Also, if veterans are coming in with, um, maybe they're not homeless yet, but they have an eviction notice, 
we can assist with referring them to a community partner for rental assistance, as well as community partners for legal aid assistance in trying to fight or delay that eviction. So we try to be a one-stop shop, um, the Community Resource and Referral Center. We have on-site, um, because we're located within the clinic, we have medical and mental health providers. If a veteran comes in in crisis, all of our staff are licensed clinical social workers. So um, we're always gonna deal with the crisis first of, you know, if, if it's a mental health situation that needs stabilized, we'll address that and then kind of deal with the housing as a secondary piece. The other piece that I um, coordinate and, and um, is also part of the homeless program is the Veterans Justice Outreach Program and the Healthcare for Reentry Veterans. So Veterans Justice Outreach deals with veterans that are coming out of the jails or currently in the jails and will be getting released. Um, as well as veterans in our veteran treatment courts. And those case managers, social workers, are working to connect the veteran to appropriate treatment. A lot of times when veterans have had criminal issues, it's related to an underlying mental health issue that could be unique to them as a veteran. So they coordinate with the courts to really get the veteran rehabilitated, get them in treatment versus have kind of the more punitive approach that the courts often have. Um, and then we also have our health care for reentry veteran social worker who works with veterans coming out of the prisons, um, all of the state prisons in Nevada. And she actually starts working with them about six months before they're released to try to avoid them becoming homeless. So she'll coordinate before they come out. They know um, she, she has a heads up of what programs they'd be eligible for. She's coordinated medical and mental health appointments, anything. Oftentimes when they're on parole or probation, they have specific requirements to follow up with a mental health provider for an assessment and treatment within a certain amount of time. So she does her best on the front end to prevent those from becoming homeless. A lot of those pro veterans, when they get released from prison, they do go into our transitional housing programs, but we try to kind of um, bridge that gap so they're not literally homeless at all. Gotcha. Awesome. So we, you just mentioned that um, somebody may come to you with an eviction notice. Exactly. Um, it's been uh, in the news a lot, uh, the way that rents are, are increasing here because the housing market is going crazy here. Yes. And you see stories of people that, you know, my rent is going up $400 this month. And that may push them out of that house. They may not be able to rent that up, that house or that apartment or, or anything like that before. Have you seen impacts, any of you, have you seen impacts on that already as as we start to hit kind of that the front end of that wave of people that, that might be facing uh, some insecurity on, on where they're going to stay because of rent increases? Absolutely, and I've seen it on two, kind of two folds. Um, one, veterans who are wanting to stay in the house but the rent's going up. The other one that we're seeing is veterans who are renting a house and maybe they've been there. I have a female veteran who, with a son who'd been there for seven years because of the um, real estate market going up, her landlord is now selling um, and choosing to cash out on that property, isn't renewing, and she can't turn around and get another rental um, quickly. She doesn't have security deposit first and last month's rent. She isn't able to move as quick as that landlord's wanting her out. So in those types of situations, we're pairing her with um, SSVF, um, Supplemental Services for Veteran Families, to try to get her rehoused so that she doesn't ever become homeless. Um, our goal is always, you know, fight the eviction, delay the eviction, prevent them from becoming housed, becoming homeless, and then last resort, if they are homeless, deal with it then. But we also try to catch it on the front end. 
Okay, that, and, and, and that, the, the rent issue is kind of a very localized, very recent kind of thing. Uh, what would you say is the, the current state of veteran homelessness here, here in Southern Nevada? I've seen a number based on one of the more recent pit counts that we've gone up from, from number 10 in the country to number four, where that, that's obviously, that's, a, that's an increase in the amount of homeless veterans we have in the area. So what's, what's the current state here and, and what seems to be the thing that's driving the trend? So I can talk about that a little bit in relation to the pit count. So the pit count is our point in time count. Um, that is a count. Um, it's done overnight for one night during the um, calendar year. We try to do it coordinated across the whole United States. So it's actually a project through U the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And um, this year's, as you can imagine, last year's pit count was in the peak of surge of the COVID surge. And so it was um, actually kind of a partial pit count. This year was um, done in January, scheduled for January, delayed to February. And so we actually had to go on and do that um, a month later. Um, that event just happened. And I can talk more about that. But that's where we get our data. And the data from that pit count, there's actually two parts of the pit count. So there's the point in time of unsheltered ve veterans. And actually, it's all unsheltered homeless, but we narrow in on the veterans. Um, and sheltered veterans. So those would be veterans in programs like Gigi's and um, Danielle's Hudbash and um, HTHVGPD who are still counted as homeless, but they're sheltered for the moment. Um, and so we pulled together those two numbers. So we don't have that pit count was last Thursday. So we obviously don't have those results yet. And those take like a year to kind exactly. of filter down, right? Yeah, I think the, the results, we'll expect the full results in about a year. Um, but I can tell you that um, between 2019 and 2020, the number of unsheltered homeless veterans locally increased 141%. So we had gone from 139 up to 336. Um, and then the number of sheltered veterans decreased by 10%. So we definitely, and these are all for the most part, they are, they're pre-COVID numbers. We did a pit count just before COVID hit locally in March. We had done one in January. So. I can only imagine, you know, just kind of the, the self-report and the visual of what we're seeing. I can tell you locally, starting in about May of 2021, which was prior to this most recent surge, people, you could tell, so, so during the peak of COVID, it seemed like most homeless veterans kind of hunkered down. Um, they stayed with family or friends, they doubled up, they didn't want to go into congregate shelters where they risked the, the increased chance of infection. Um, and so starting in about May, we started to see increased walk-ins, um, as well as those veterans starting to be evicted. We did have the eviction moratorium being delayed for repeatedly. Um, and when that finally ended in October, we just kind of got the rush of, of veterans coming in that, you know, not only, not only the ones that were already homeless and ready to go and get help, but now the ones that are newly evicted, many of whom have never been homeless in their lives. Um, so I can just tell you kind of by, by word of mouth expectation, I think our pit count for 2022 is going to be significantly higher. So Gigi, we, we talk about homeless tourism here in Las Vegas, and uh, you know that's driven a lot by the weather and resources available and things like that. Um, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about kind of the piece that you that you manage that mm -hmm. for the long term housing you had seen somebody only one person had stayed there the full time. Mm -hmm. um, with so many transient people here, uh, do you see more or less impact on on what you do, and does that make it harder for you to kind of because because this is a very personal thing, right? You mm -hmm. kind of develop a rapport with the people you're trying to help. Um, how does all, how does 
things being so transient here in Vegas affect what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, it can make things a bit more difficult because when you have transient um, veterans, a lot of times they may have come and all of their belongings have been stolen. Um, we get that a lot where there there's no ID, no social security card. So you get people that have to really just start from scratch, which nowadays is very difficult, especially during COVID because a lot of the DMV, social security, all of that stuff was kind of shut down. So that makes things very, very, very difficult. And transient, and, and when people are transient, a lot of times they're losing things along the way. So I would say that that is what makes it so difficult. Um, when I mentioned that we had one person to stay for two years and that person was really working on a barber license. He needed to get all of his hours for his barber license. And of course we helped to support him in housing while he did that. Uh, when I say the average person nationally is six months, but I would say in Las Vegas, we tend to see people stay in our program maybe for a year or a little bit over a year. Because if we are looking for them to get IDs, because they have to have those type of uh, documents to get into HUD-VASH. Um, also, we may have to have veterans to get income because if you are transient. A lot of times you don't have income. And so then we have to assist them with getting um, their service connection if they're eligible for that. We do have uh, social workers that work for our SOAR program. What they do is they uh, work, they're social workers that work for the VA, but they help to um, veterans to uh, apply for Social Security benefits. And so then we can help to, them to establish income in that way, or we help them to establish income through employment. Because of course, for our programs, we have three goals. The first goal is for medical and mental health stability. So the first thing we try to do is get them connected to medical and mental health services, um, whether that's with the VA or in the community. The second goal is for stable income, because of course you have to have stable income in order to maintain your housing. So of course that can come in different ways that I just talked about. And then the third goal is permanent housing. So the transient part can be very difficult because of the lack of documents that you need to move forward in the process. Okay. And Danielle, from you're more focused on permanent housing and mm -hmm. stable housing. You know, there's a lot of things that go into homelessness. There's addiction, there's uh, unemployment, there's uh, sometimes you have a fight with somebody and domestic violence and you need to escape. Um, how important is that stable housing element to the rest of those things, in, in your opinion? Right, well, that's a, that's a really good um, point that you have. We, the HUD-BASH program starts from that the housing first principle, which is housing is a basic human right. And so um, there are, it makes it so that there are very few barriers to get into permanent housing. Um, you know, they don't have to uh, agree to um, address certain issues as long as they can follow the rules of their lease and maintain stable housing. Um, so, uh, but absolutely accessing, of course, if they're wanting these, this kind of help, if they're wanting to address their mental health issues, if they're wanting to address their substance abuse issues or their other addiction issues, that's why we have also licensed clinical social workers that can help uh, not only provide services, but also uh, refer to appropriate, um, you know, appropriate programs so that they can get those, those needs addressed and, and, um, and of course, maintain more permanent housing, um, being more stable in those areas. 
And I wanted to say, too, a lot of times that starts in the GPD and HCHV program because all of our social workers are licensed clinical social workers as well. So we kind of start that process, whether we're referring them to services within the VA for mental health or in substance abuse issues or services outside in the community. So we kind of set that up first. And then once they get into um, HUD-VASH, then they can just transition in there with that help already. And it always helps. We see that in in uh, with, with school children mm -hmm. also. You know, there there are schools here in in Vegas where some kids their their address is a a, a, a very short term rental facility or, mm -hmm. or something like that. So mm -hmm. it's very very important to get uh, get that stable housing situation. Mm -hmm. Get everything else to flow from that. So that's some really great information. Well. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more, more in depth about the recently completed pit count and a couple of other things. So we'll be right back. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence. Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at VeteransCrisisLine.net. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, joined by Liz Jarman, Gigi Simmons, and Danielle Zuber, and we are talking about veteran homelessness today. So ladies, thank you again for joining me today. Um, we're gonna talk about the pit count, the recently completed place and time count here in just a little bit. But one, one thing I wanna bring up real quick is we like to talk a lot and we pride ourselves here at the VA, uh, Southern Nevada, that we, when it comes to veteran homelessness, that we have what is referred to as functional zero when it, when it comes to, to homelessness. What does that mean and are we still there? Absolutely. So we can talk about a little bit um, kind of the history of functional zero. So if we go back to 2015, um, the VA of Southern Nevada participated in, it was between the VA and Housing and Urban Development, um, along with local organizations, and it was a 25 cities initiative to help reduce veteran homelessness. 
Um, and Southern Nevada was actually, we were proud to be one of the first communities in the nation to achieve functional zero. So functional zero is ensures that every homeless veteran who wants shelter has access to resources. As we know from driving around town, there's veterans that are still homeless. There's, there's people on the street that are still homeless, uh, many of whom are veterans. And um, the access and the amount of beds are available that if all of those veterans decided tomorrow that they wanted to be housed, there's a spot for them. Um, so we are cur currently still maintaining functional zero. Um, I do anticipate with the new pit count numbers with COVID, with all of the market, re real estate market, all the things that are going on, um, that there we may, uh, one of the things that comes from the pit count is a, um, additional available resources. And so those may be needed in the future. Um, but at this current time, we are able to meet the needs of everybody who comes in. So part of functional zero is meeting needs if they wanted to come in. Exactly. There are, and it's 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 just a fact that there are there are homeless veterans out there that are homeless by choice. They, you know, I'm from I'm from back east, and you know we have a really dense railroad network work out there. And you hear, I would hear growing up about you know folks that just their lifestyle was to mm -hmm. hop on a train and ride the rails, right? Mm -hmm. And that was their choice. They didn't have a stable home, stable income anything like that. So how does that affect what you do for, for all three of you when you encounter a veteran that just likes the lifestyle and, and would rather live, you know, in a in the tent city in the washes underneath the, the highways instead of getting into a facility and and taking that route? Well, I know for myself when in our programs that we do run into veterans that um, would rather not come in for ho housing services. However, when we do get that, we do provide them with information about um, medical and mental health services because if they are eligible for that through the VA, then they can still access those services. Um, we still may be able to provide help with our uh, social workers that help with the social security applications. So that's another thing that we could do with them as well. Um, we have been very fortunate enough to get a huge donation from T-Mobile of iPhones. And so we've been able to provide some iPhones for veterans who may not come into our homeless program, but we would still provide them with an iPhone because they can still stay connected for mental and medical health services. So there are things that we can do to provide for them. We can also give them information about um, some of the food pantries that are out there and other resources. So we can still help them maybe because just because they don't want to have housing, we can still help them with other things. And I can kind of piggyback on that. Uh, in addition to that, that's sometimes the first thing of like, okay, you don't want housing, maybe you don't trust the VA, you don't want to be around people, you're off your meds and you're afraid to be around others, whatever. Um, and they, they may know right then based on their behavior, they're not gonna succeed in a housing program. We can use a process of progressive engagement where it's like, hey, we still care about you, you're still a veteran, you don't wanna come in, let's get you connected to these things. Let's get you a phone so you can use um, BBC, connect with your providers. We also have peer support staff who do outreach to homeless veterans. Um, we actually have, um, there's other community outreach agencies that 
um, go out and do outreach in the tunnels and in the washes. And if they identify a veteran, they'll send that veteran to us, we'll verify their information, and we'll do specific targeted outreach to them. So sometimes those peer supports are working with veterans two or three months or longer before they hit the point where they're ready to come in and get housed. So just because you're saying no today, we're going to continue to, you know, make sure you have the education if you're if it's no to housing, but you want to come and get the medical and mental health or just talk to a peer on the phone periodically. Um, we'll, we'll meet them where they're at and do whatever we can do to assist. So with the recently completed pit count, you know, you said that drives a lot of the resources that we get based off of so many people. So, Danielle, I would assume that uh, we were talking about the vouchers earlier and how mm -hmm. many you get. I would assume that that pit count drives a lot of uh, how you end up budgeting and, 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 and planning going forward. Absolutely. It can, it can provide the information needed to um, obtain more vouchers in, in the, you know, from that information. And the other piece I wanted to bring up a little bit is, is the, about the expanded eligibility in HUD-VASH. I think that's a really important point to um, let folks know about. And that um, back in early 2021, there was a new law that um, expanded eligibility for HUD-VASH. And so veterans that were previously not eligible for HUD-VASH became eligible. And those um, are veterans that maybe had an other than honorable discharge um, or maybe um, a bad conduct uh, discharge, excuse me, um, that um, was from a special court martial. And, and so those, those folks now can um, come in and, and obtain HUD-VASH um, services. And um, because they're eligible for HUD-VASH and um, HUD-VASH only, um, our social workers and multidisciplinary teams would help those veterans access any other resources they need out in the community, if it's medical or mental health and, and whatnot. So, um, so again, I think the research with the pit count and, and other factors such as the expanded eligibility will influence, of course, if we are provided more vouchers in the future. Okay. Uh, what, are, what are one of the biggest challenges that you face in trying to get people into HUD-VASH housing? Um, it, it seems like, you know, we're, we're a metro area here of 2.2 million, million people, and 1,400 vouchers seems, to, to me as a layman, that seems like a very, very small number. Um, is that an appropriate amount of vouchers, or is it based on use, or what are your biggest challenges that you deal with? Well, uh, sounds like there's a couple questions. Uh, some of the biggest challenges, of course, Gigi mentioned earlier, are those documents that um, are required to be able to get um, through the housing process in terms of the screening with, with HUD and, and um, getting through that first initial, that first initial piece. Um, another huge factor that's uh, affecting housing is the lack of housing stock and what that means is there's just simply not enough affordable housing in las vegas and um and as as we all know rents are going up very quickly and so it makes it very difficult uh, for uh, our veterans to to find housing that will accept our voucher um, although um, hud is responding and and have increased their voucher amounts so there there's you know some uh you know movement in that in that area as well so but that is one of the, the 
biggest things as well is that housing stock issue. Um, so I'd say those are probably the two biggest issues right now for, mm -hmm. for housing veterans. So we've been, you know, mentioning the pit count here a little bit, and you went a little bit into it, uh, sure. Liz, but what, what's mechanically, how does the, the pit count happen? Absolutely. So the pit count is orchestrated, it's for the U.S. Department of um, Housing and Urban Development, but it's orchestrated locally through, in, in Southern Nevada, our Southern Nevada Continuum of Care. So the continuum of care is kind of a, a board, a collaboration of community partners that assist homeless individuals. So not only veterans, but all homeless in our community. Um, I sit on that board and I'm part of the planning for the pit count for different um, things that we're doing in, in collaboration with the community. And so on a night, um, part of why we do it at night or very early in the morning is because that's when it's easiest to find homeless people. They're they're kind of huddled down, taking shelter from the cold. They're not scattered, you know, where, where they're difficult to find or identify. Um, and so we, we do the same night, even though we postponed it a month, we did the same night. We have two other continuum of cares in Nevada. So we all did it at the same time. There's a Northern Nevada and then the rural one. Um, and we go out first thing in the morning. So it was um, the first group deployed at 4.30 a.m. Um, so it was still dark out. We, um, there were about eight deployment locations at different community centers, North Las Vegas City Hall. We were at, um, half of us were at Cambridge Community Center um, or Cambridge Rec Center. And so you deploy from there. When you get to the site, they basically mapped out the section that that site is doing. Um, and then there's like little, they call them tracks, but like little territories within that site of crossroads that you're gonna be doing in between that area. Um, so it's a very large collaboration. There was about 300 volunteers total from all different outreach teams, community agencies, police, sheriff's department, um, VA, and they all assist with kind of canvassing at the same time. Um, the outreach teams that are used to doing street outreach all the time, they specifically targeted the tunnels, the washes, um, some of the areas that we needed to do by foot. and. The rest of the team um, went out by car and kind of looked for homeless people. Um, there's two options when you encounter a homeless individual um, for the pit count. The first is that you can mark that you've located a person and you're not able to give them a survey. Um, so obviously we don't want to be disruptive to, to people that you know may have mental health issues, they may be sleeping, they may be you know scared of strangers approaching them in the middle of the night. Um, so if it was someone that was sleeping or in a tent, you're not going to approach them. You do the survey and say, okay, you identified them. When you click on the you identified them and you weren't able to do a survey, and this is all done on a smartphone. When you click that you identify them, it actually um, zones into their longitudinal lat latitudinal uh, mark of where exactly where they're at. Um, and then for veterans that are or homeless individuals that are able to do the survey, you ask a series of questions that ask about, you know, where they slept last night, uh, mental health, substance abuse issues. Um, so it was really a, a coordinated effort to do all of that. Um, one of the things to talk about with it too is we didn't do every square inch of Southern Nevada. They picked the areas that we were doing the homeless count in um, based on areas where outreach teams had identified homeless veterans, prior pit counts had found, sorry, not just homeless veterans, but homeless individuals, prior pit counts had found um, homeless individuals in that area. And uh, recent 911 calls from the last two years um, identified homeless um, encampments or homeless individuals. And so they were really targeted of the areas that we were going to have the most chance to encounter homeless individuals. So I'm guessing then it, it's not a raw, 
it's not a raw numbers game. It, it's those numbers are then probably fed into an algorithm, yes. and then that's how they go and they find out how many because somebody could be on the street one night and then in a shelter the next night and they may be double counted. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's where we're looking at it too. So even the so there's the point in time count and then there's the housing inventory count. Even the housing inventory count, we're looking at where did you sleep the night of February 23rd, the evening of. So if they were counted on the street, they won't be in a shelter that night, and we'll combine those numbers together and then use the algorithm and come up with the data that we need. And then that feeds into what uh, Gigi and, and Danielle, what the two of you do. Yeah, Exactly. Mm -hmm. We also, the, the kind of second piece of the pit count is we do a gap analysis, which is then we're really able to use that data to identify the gaps in our community. Um, within the VA specifically. So we see, okay, do we need more vouchers? Do we need more um, GPDHCHV beds? Do we need more staff at CRRC to get these veterans processed through? So it really is is a very kind of scientific, um, what do we need, making sure we have the resources we need for our community. Well, that's a lot of great information. We're, we're running very short on time here, so I'm just gonna go around the table here real quick. Gigi, if somebody needed your help, how would they get in contact with you? What's what's the best place to start? They would go to the Community Resource Center, the CIRC, at the Northeast Clinic at 4461 East Charleston Boulevard, and they would go in and they would get a full assessment. And, be, and I have um, social workers that are there that work in my programs. Once they finish with Liz's assessment, then they would come over to either HCHV and GPD uh, social worker, and they will be referred to the specific program. So, Danielle, I would assume that's the same for you then? Like, everybody's going to be it, it all starts at the CRRC it all right? starts at the CRRC they would go there and go through the whole um, intake process there with CRRC social workers and then um, they would determine if they make a referral to the HUD bash program and then at that point we we make contact with them and get them in for our intake and assessment process and then Liz you are the CRRC so yeah it uh, definitely starts with you right yes <laughs> yes they would come to us um, if for some reason they have some questions and they're not ready to do a walk-in and they're wanting to speak to someone or they're needing immediate assistance and it's on a weekend we do have a national call center for homeless veterans um, and that number is one eight seven seven four aid vet so it's eight seven seven four two four three eight three eight it's a national call center but it gets um, deployed out to the area so we'll have a Las Vegas social worker returning those calls um, if they're just needing to get gather information or get more info on what resources might be available before they come in otherwise walk-in basis the earliest they can get there in the morning the better um, the clinic opens at 6 30 but we're, we have social workers there at 7 30 um, all of the beds are on a first come first serve basis so the earlier the better Excellent. Well, that's a lot of great information on something that's very, very important to uh, be on top of here here in this area. So, ladies, that's uh, all of the time we have for today. So I want to thank you all for coming in. Uh, Gigi, I want to thank you specifically for coming in today because this is almost one year to the day your last appearance here on the show. So I guess you coming on the show now is a lot like a lot of the training we have to do on the computers. <laughs> so you're signed off for the year. We'll right. see you in 365 days. Well, thank you. <laughs> 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 okay, for, for Liz, Gigi, and Danielle, I'm Joshua Gray. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.